Hi, I'm Charlie O'Shields, and I thought it might be good to kick off this inaugural episode of my little podcast with a very brief introduction. Just three years ago, I started sketching and painting with watercolor and became so hooked that I created a little blog called Doodle Wash. It's since grown much larger over the years, featuring posts from hundreds of artists all over the world, and in many ways, it's your usual art blog. That is, until I show up and start sketching stuff and rambling on about life, creativity, and other little things that come to mind, most of which have more to do with life in general than art itself. Being a bit shy, I've never appeared on video like so many of my artist friends, so I thought I would start with audio and sharing not my paintings, but the stories they inspired. Many filled with facts you didn't even think you needed to know, others a bit autobiographical, and some just plain fun. Welcome to Sketching Stuff, a collection of stories sketched from life. Once upon a time, I spent the entire month of November exploring the various national and world days that happened each day of that month. I loved these fun celebrations, and they were ultimately what gave me the idea to found World Watercolor Month in July. So join me now for a little collection of stories I call Days to Celebrate. World Cliché Day Though there was a time when I wanted to be a writer, I realized I've always been at the end of the pecking order. I write like people talk and not in a lofty literary way, so as luck would have it, it's World Cliché Day. You could have knocked me over with a feather. I can do this one with one hand tied behind my back and tongue firmly planted in cheek. I doodle washed a visual cliché to celebrate the day, as I always wanted to sketch a stack of books, and putting an apple on top was just the icing on the cake. My brain was bursting with ideas for this one, and I just couldn't sit still. But an idle mind is the devil's playground, so it's best to go for broke. After all, laughter is the best medicine. It's not that I haven't tried to write with the best of them, it's just that when push comes to shove, I don't want to sweat the details. Trying to clean up my writing is like putting lipstick on a pig. You could, but you just have a pig that's fit to be tied and you'd also likely be bored to tears. I love puns and will happily butcher the English language to get a point across, probably due to my years in marketing and advertising. I don't have the patience to dot my I's and cross my T's when I'm trying to tell a story. While spending a few years in big corporate America, I was assaulted with hundreds of buzzwords that made people sound dumb as a post. I used to get my kicks by inventing buzzwords and phrases to see how many people I could get to use them. Turns out a lot. Just say something as serious as a heart attack, pretend you're eating your own dog food, and you'll have everyone chanting right along with you. In case you're wondering, the difference between a cliché and a corporate buzzword is that a cliché actually makes some sense. Buzzwords simply prove that the more we learn, the less we know, and unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. So you might as well jump on the bandwagon, or else risk being told that you zigged when you should have zagged. In that environment, I stuck out like a sore thumb and always felt like I was swimming against the tide, the one salmon not swimming upstream. I understand that a house divided can't stand, but trying to pretend you don't see the absurdity in it all was too exhausting. If I'm going to sound dumb, I prefer to sound dumb as a fox. In that world, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't, so I'm happy as a clam to no longer be there. 
instead, these days, I've let bygones be bygones, and you'll now find me always giving 110% to things that I can actually care about. And though I love cliches, I know I've opened Pandora's box here, and it's making me sound mad as a hatter. But we've lovingly built these little words and phrases as a culture, and now that they're out, you just can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. They're a part of who we are, and as beautiful as the day is long. Clichés are as good as gold, albeit fool's gold, but still something to celebrate. And though sometimes in life you're the windshield and sometimes you're the bug, a good cliché will make everything right as rain again. How else would we learn that we can't swing a dead cat or take knickers off a bare arse? But if you don't feel you're quite a master of cliché yet, start slowly, as you must crawl before you can walk, and sometimes you have to break a few eggs before you can make an omelet. Okay, I should probably quit while I'm ahead, and if you've made it this far, you might be about to lose your mind. Only time will tell. But when you're at the next party, try to use as many cliches as possible to astound your friends. I'll give you a head start, because in this little post, I've already implanted over 50 of them in your brain. How's that for a topper? Someday, you will thank me for this. World Television Day. As simple as or even easier than playing a record. Today is World Television Day, and this one is relatively official as it's sanctioned by the United Nations. It's not just a day to watch more TV, but a reminder of what television represents, which the UN says is a symbol for communication and globalization in the contemporary world. Quite a mouthful, but there you have it. Television, an unparalleled blending of science and art. Things have changed quite a bit, as you don't even need a television anymore to catch your favorite shows. Nor do you have to watch them at a specific time. But there was something magical about an era with appointment viewing and having to wait for your favorite show each week. Bit by bit, creative imagination began to give form and substance to the new art form called television. Back then, televisions had backs on them and required everyone in the family to pitch in just to move them across the room. When I was a kid, the best television night was Saturday night because I got to stay up late with ABC's one-two punch of Love Boat followed by Fantasy Island. The setting could hardly be more perfect. If I was super lucky, I even got to stay up to watch Saturday Night Live, which was always incredibly fun. But the real fun came on Sunday, when one of my favorite shows aired, Murder, She Wrote, starring the amazing Angela Lansbury. This frail creature strikes her typewriter keys about 40,000 times a day. I realized that this show was meant for women over 40, but how could anyone resist the spunky mystery author turned real-life detective Jessica Fletcher as she brilliantly solves a myriad of murders? I'm expecting to be arrested at any minute. Obviously, any sane person would have moved the hell out of Cabot Cove since the odds of getting murdered there were nearly 100%. But at least you could rest easy knowing Jessica would skillfully put your killers in their rightful place after you're gone. Jessica would travel frequently and people would also die wherever she was, so one had to wonder why she was ever invited to go anywhere. 
No matter where Jessica went, she was always recognized by everyone who saw her, which is amazing considering she only wrote books. Much of this was due to the fact that the odds of being related to Jessica Fletcher were also 100%. She had an endless list of relatives that she would always help, even though she never managed to have children of her own. I was shocked to discover Murder, She Wrote was also one of Philippe's favorite shows. Apparently, we were both middle-aged women in a former life, which is equally comforting and disconcerting. Luckily, at the time, all of the seasons were on Netflix, so we got to binge watch whenever we wanted and see Jessica's face wildly smiling in the freeze frame at the successful completion of each one. Even if they were a bit ridiculous, what I liked about these older shows was that they were all attempting to tell you a story. Later, television would move to a million reality shows that successfully turned most of the nation into peeping toms and sent talented writers to the unemployment lines. As for me, I've always had a soft spot for shows with a plot. So today is the day to enjoy some of your favorite television shows and a time to remember those shows you used to love. Television is definitely one of the most influential inventions in history, so it's nice to see it gets to have its own special day to be celebrated. New eyes, new vision for the world. There was a drink, pure and wholesome, delicious to taste, refreshing. National Apple Cider Day. Today is a time to kick back with a mug of apple cider and celebrate. In North America, this means the non-alcoholic beverage, unfiltered apple juice, versus the traditional kind, which is called hard cider. To the rest of the world, it's just the fermented concoction with anywhere from 1 to 12% alcohol content. Not a bad idea at that. So the choice is yours, really. I find it interesting that the type of apple best suited for cider and brandy is what's called a spitter. This is a fruit so bitter and tannic that one's first instinct is to spit it out and frantically look for something sweet to lick. But ferment those bad boys and you've got yourself a wonderful beverage with low alcohol that was perfect for early world dwellers who wanted a refreshing drink without all the cholera. Now the good news about American apple cider is that it can be made into an array of alcoholic beverages, so you're not stuck with one kind. Okay, sure, why not? And of course, you can also just drink it straight, without the alcohol, but then you should really start calling it by a more world-friendly name, something more accurate like I used to as a kid when I referred to it as cloudy apple juice. Cider is sort of doomed to be low in alcohol content because the apples themselves are so low in sugar. I'm not a big fan of cider as it just sort of tastes like a cheap version of a real drink, like a sparkling wine with less sparkle and a strange apple aftertaste that wasn't supposed to be there. And in all honesty, at the end of the day, I think I'd rather just eat an apple and be done with it. Beyond the cloudy apple juice I had as a child, my mom always had a hot spice tea mix during the colder months, which was a concoction of packets of other mixes from Lipton, Kool-Aid, and Tang. Amazing! The only ingredient non-engineered in a laboratory was sugar, but adding it made one feel like they were more involved, like baking with pre-made cookie dough that's also been pre-sliced. Though perhaps this was even more ridiculous, as the mix was something your cat running across the kitchen counter could have created entirely by accident. 
But for today, it's time to pour a glass of whatever you call cider and enjoy. These celebration days can be a bit ridiculous, so feel free to mold them and reinvent them into something that works for you. Or if you're like me and have trouble following rules entirely, pour yourself a nice glass of wine and call it cider. Really, nobody is going to know. Well, I must say, that's great. Area Code Day. Today we celebrate Area Code Day, which pays homage to a now bygone era where area codes actually mattered. The area code system was developed by AT&T and Bell Laboratories in the 1940s and went into effect in 1947. It was called the North American Numbering Plan and included the United States and Canada. Back when phones had rotary dials, lower numbers had shorter dial pulls and were therefore easier to call. This is why areas with high population often had lower numbers, like New York's famous 212 area code. Before mobile phones, moving to a new city meant changing your number and, well, your whole identity, really, by adopting a new area code. When I was a kid, we still had a rotary dial phone for a time, and I thought they were fun. It felt like you were actually doing something magical in order to create a call. Of course, if you messed up on the final bit of the number, it was frustrating because you had to start all over at the risk of calling the entirely wrong person. Since I don't like to actually talk to anyone on the phone, even back then, I would just dial short and wait for the horrible tones that signaled you'd messed up. The push-button phones came and killed that magic, but they came with one of the greatest inventions at the time, the extra-long curly cord. It was all the rage to raid Radio Shack and get the absolute longest cord available so you could freely move throughout your house while talking on the phone. Long before smartphones, we were already trying to figure out how to do something, anything else, while talking to another person. The extra-long curly cord was probably more dangerous than yard darts as it was often circling the furniture, tripping people on their way to the kitchen, and nearly strangling the family dog. If you wanted privacy for your important call, you'd simply pull the curly cord as far as you could and into the bathroom. There, you could finally take your call in peace and, of course, do something else while talking to another person. It was a huge deal when we finally got a cordless phone in the house. It looked like something from the Jetsons, and we were all excited to leave the horrors of the curly cord behind us. We quickly learned that without a cord, there's no reliable way to keep track of the phone, and it would often be lost entirely behind couch cushions or left sitting on the bathroom sink. But it was so cool. Soon after college, I got my first mobile phone. These were less impressive. They were the size of a regular handset, which made you look like a crazy person who had wandered into the street with your cordless phone. If you were not of the persuasion to carry a purse, then figuring out what the hell to do with it in transit was particularly worrisome. So I just left mine in the car and used it only for emergencies, which is still the only way I tend to make personal phone calls today. But as mobile phones evolved into smartphones, long-distance calls became a thing of the past, and people could keep their number even when they moved. The poor area code has lost its ability to geolocate you. While those remembering these times still hold parties when securing a coveted New York 212, the next generation just shrugs, says a name into their earbuds, and starts talking to someone. 
They didn't have to remember the number that they're calling and couldn't tell you any of the digits, much less the area code. For some of us, though, we can celebrate Area Code Day with memories of how life once was, back in the days of the curly cord, when telling someone your area code was as revealing as telling them where you went to college. Three amazing little numbers that changed the world as we knew it. Little numbers that we never suspected could lose their magic until the world would change once again. And now we come to the thrilling final episode of our radio drama. National Absurdity Day. Today is a day to sit back and recall the many absurd things that have happened in our lives or things that are still happening each day. Really strange. It's also a day to actually add to this list by doing something completely ridiculous and random that you've always wanted to try. For example, I have been harboring a strange desire to do to wash a flying pig, so this was a good day for that. Sometimes it's difficult to determine what's actually absurd. It really depends on who you are and where you are. I mentioned before Philippe's shock at discovering some of America's habits, but these aren't considered absurd, just part of living in this country. So if you're American and stumped on how to celebrate this one, it's equally likely that to someone in another country, you're already doing it. We'll see what some of the common troubles are. When Philippe was first visiting from Paris, I took him out to dinner at a local Mexican restaurant. I thought it would be fine as it was actually Mexican food, not the Tex-Mex version, which is really just a game of food hide-and-seek in a pool of orange cheese. Well, how did that get in there? Unfortunately, the restaurant had decided to serve it with American-sized portions, and Philippe ate the entire thing out of habit. The remainder of the evening was spent with him clutching his stomach in pain and taking short breaths like he was about to deliver our first child. I was nearly killed, don't you care? Beyond the absurdity of portion size in American meals, there's often the complete lack of vegetables or any meaningful fiber, which always leads Philippe to ask, how do Americans poop? How do they do it? It never occurred to me anymore since I mostly eat vegetables now, but this was a very good question. I watch people out eating as every green thing on the plate is pushed to the side and treated as garnish and have to wonder the very same thing. When we first went out driving here, Philippe would ask about all the American flags. Soldier, statesman, president, American. I'm so used to seeing them that I totally blocked them out, but he was confused as to why people had them everywhere. I don't understand, he said. Yeah, we're in America, we get it. As a too-big-to-be-driven-in-the-city truck burped past us with flags flapping on each side. They're just proud of this country, I said, as a man wearing a coat that looked like a flag walked by. And that's when I realized it was actually absurd. Everything from weather to cooking has been made needlessly complex for Philippe because America is one of the only countries in the world not using the metric system. The only other two are Burma and Liberia. It says a heaping cup, Philippe remarked while cooking. What the hell is a cup? Which cup? Heaping? I pointed him to the measuring cups and he said, C'est pas vrai. That's so stupid and imprecise. Why don't they just measure in handfuls and fingernails? The next day, we bought a scale that measured in grams. But the absurdity didn't stop in the kitchen, of course. I was questioned as to whose feet one uses to determine distance. 
this is a bit embarrassing, as feet and pounds are things that were necessary in the old days when people didn't know any better, much like the Electoral College. To still be using these antiquated systems today just makes us seem, well, rather absurd. Though Fahrenheit is still twice as precise as Celsius when setting your air conditioning, so there's a tiny something we got right. America is already an absurd place, so maybe that's why so many people like it. We're not weighted down with horrible logic. We just live happily inside our absurdity bubble, assuming everyone else must be wrong. Objection often brings friction without any change. So today, add a heaping cup of absurdity to whatever it is you plan to do and have a ridiculously good time. And that's it. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Days to Celebrate. Each day we have together on this little green planet is always a day worth celebrating. Thanks so much for listening to the Sketching Stuff podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and new episodes will be added bi-weekly. Visit me at sketchingstuff.com to share your comments and stories. Thank you.